news is kids that shoot and abuse. Nations at odds over borders and gods, or stories of you that shoot up and use. Dads with their toys, neglecting their boys, and moms with their curls. What are we teaching our girls? The media's eyes grow hollow and cold, as prophets soar from the horrors they've told. Every night at six from behind a tall desk, teaching me to fear that or fear this. I listen in fear to the stories I'm told. Oh, how I wish I could learn to fear less. My bones or my flesh, a still small voice calming my worry and stress. It says to me, fear not, for I've got all of this. Trust in me, my child, and live. Good morning, Crestview. Good to see you guys here this morning. I'm glad that you chose um, to be here. And I don't know about you, but I try my best. And it doesn't always happen. And it's not all the time, but there are definite times that I have made decisions in my life based out of fear. Because of fear of a circumstance or someone else or me, even fear of myself and what I'll choose or what I'll do or what I can't do, I have made choices. And I know that that's not always the best way to do that. Whenever I choose to do something out of fear, I usually regret it because fear can cause us to do crazy things. Fear sometimes can cause us to be controlling when actually what we need to be doing is have less control. Or fear will cause us to do just the opposite. It'll cause us to back away and not control something when we actually need to step up and try to control a situation. Fear at times might cause us to speak up and speak out when actually what we need to do is be quiet and be reserved. But there's also times fear has caused us to be reserved when what we really need to do is step up and speak out. And I think fear can do that to us. Fear has this crazy thing and the way it works. And oftentimes, it's me. It's the fear that I have inside of me of what I'll say or not say or do or not do. And it's coming from something that God hasn't developed in me. So I know this as well. Fear is never defeated by denying its existence. You don't defeat fear by just ignoring it and saying it's not there and there's no fear and there's no fear. I can do this. I can do it. I can do it. Fear usually isn't overcome that way. We can't ignore it. We have to address it. I like this quote by Paul Tripp. He said, living just to alleviate fear never leads to being fear free. That shouldn't be our goal, really. It simply makes you more fearful of fear and more fear alert and ultimately more fearful. There's kind of this cycle that it goes through that fear develops more fear if we play into that and let it happen within us. Well, this morning, I want to jump in and start this series. I want to tell you one of my favorite Bible stories. This is one of my favorite stories of all time. Um, I always go back to this one when I need a, a boost and when I need some encouragement. And I've told it before. I'll tell it again, I'm sure, in my time of preaching. But this morning, I want to tell you the story of Gideon, uh, which is in Judges chapter 6 and 7. So if, if you have your Bibles, um, find Judges towards the beginning of the Bible. Um, and this is a time period um, after the Exodus, but before King David. So if you have a Bible, Judges chapter 6, if you, if you want, if you don't have one, you want one like with pages and words on it, um, there's some on either side of the room. Jump up, go grab one of the Bibles. However, I want to encourage you, before I get to that, guys, start using your phones for some of this stuff. Um, if you do not have the Bible app on your phone, 
put the Bible app on your phone and make sure. So when I say get your Bibles out, get your phones open and go to that. Um, It's a great tool. Crestview, every week we put an event on the Bible app. So if you go to your menu and events, you'll see Crestview on there. You'll see the verses, the scripture we're using that day, different announcements, things that we're doing um, on their way to get to our website. And it's a good way to read. So I know some of you, you're already scared of reading your Bible but you made this New Year's resolution, right? I know some of you did this. You made a New Year's resolution to read through your Bible. You're going to do this this year. And um, you've already failed in that. Now you're scared, you're afraid that you're not going to do it. Whatever. I actually had somebody say this week, I, I started to read through, my goal was to read through my Bible this year. Um, I'm already so far behind, I don't know what to do. I said, it's okay. If it takes you two years to read through your Bible in a year, great. Um, That works. Just keep doing it. Just keep reading. Do it at the pace that God has you on. And if you've missed a couple days, just pick right back up where you're at and read a little bit and read a little bit and keep doing that. Also, on that same page, um, if you can make it to our website, I want to tell you about this. I think it's it's, um, a really cool thing that's happening here at Crestview. And you've heard about it already. It's a thing called Rooted that we are starting, not not this week, next week is when it starts, but I need you to sign up this week so we can get prepared for it. So Rooted, um, it's a 10-week class um, that we're going to do here at Crestview, and it's here at the church. So on Tuesday nights at Crestview, we've got groups of people. Right now we've got four or five groups that are going to be gathering here. We'd love to have a couple more, and we need you to sign up for these. And it's it's not just a class for you to walk through once and be done. It's something that's going to develop, like it says, some roots for you in your Christian faith, in your walk. And it's with a group of people. So you're going to be able to do life with some like-minded people, to be able to meet some friends, to be able to do um, an understanding of some basics in Christ. Some Bible reading, some teaching behind that, some prayer, some service, some fellowship with others, and to be able to walk together towards that Um, You can do that while I'm preaching this morning. Go online, sign up for that on your phones. If not, Jared's going to be in the lobby after the service. He'll help you get signed up for it and tell you more about it if you have any questions about what it means and what to do. But Judges chapter 6 and 7, this is where we're going today. A story about a guy that was a little afraid of God. And I like this story because I think it fits me often. I read through this, I'm like, yep, that's how I've addressed God before. Yep, that's what I've done with God too. And it reminds me of myself so much, not because I'm a warrior like Gideon was, but because this is how I've worked and handled my relationship with God often and the failings of that, the way not to do it is what I've learned often by reading Gideon and what he did that we should not do and the fear that was driving that, why he did this. So Gideon's chapter 6, before we get there, I want to jump back one verse and read to you Judges chapter 5, verse 31. And it says this, this kind of builds into this. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. So again, like I said, this is a time period after the Exodus. The Exodus had happened, but not before King David. So there's this time period that the enemies of God were wasting away. There were no enemies right now of the Israelites and the friends of God, was, they were like the sunshine to everybody. You know, after a couple gloomy days and the sun comes back out, you're like, oh, this is great, the sun. This is what it felt like. For 40 years, they had the blessing of God. The rest of God was on them, and things were good. 
But the very next verse often describes what happens during this time period. When we have that time with God, then sometimes we get too comfortable with it. And it says this, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They turned away from God. They started doing the things they shouldn't do. Comma. And the Lord gave them to the hand of of Midian for seven years. For seven years they were oppressed by the Midianites. For seven years, as the story goes, the next few verses it talks about this. They would go out and they would plant their crops. But the Midianites would come and just steal everything from them. They'd plunder them. They would, they would defeat them in battle. They would take their stuff. And they were oppressed by the Midianites. They were stealing from them. And the Israelites were getting upset at this. But I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Um, there's a quote from him. He said, The Lord does not permit his children to sin successfully. Uh, stop right there before you read the rest of that quote and, and think about that. Isn't that a good thing for us? Parents, think about that. If you have a child and they do something wrong, you punish them, right? Not because you hate them and you don't want them to have any fun, but because you know that they did something wrong and you don't want them to get away with sin successfully. Because when we sin successfully, we often think, oh, look, I got away with it. I sinned. That's okay. So I can do this. And then we do that, and, and pretty soon we're sinning so much, we're so far from God, and he's saying, I don't want you to get far from me. I want you to be close to me. So God doesn't let us get away with sin successfully. Read the rest. God is not a permissive parent who allows his children to do as they please. For his ultimate purpose is that they might be conformed to the image of his son. His goal is a relationship with us. It's not that the sin in and of itself is as bad as what sin will do, which will separate us from God. And God wants us to be in a relationship with him. So when we sin, there's, there's something that comes along with that. There's consequences that come with that. And God says, I want you close to me. And he pulls us back. So when we read this in verse 1, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them to the hand of the Midianites. That's where that oppression comes from. That's where they were feeling it. And the story goes on, down in verse 12, God is coming now to rescue the Israelites, and he's calling on a guy by the name of Gideon. So in verse 12, he comes to Gideon, and he says, "Um, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. God sends an angel, and this angel says to Gideon, you've been blessed. God wants you to go and rescue the Israelites from the Midianites. And Gideon said to him, it's verse 13, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers um, recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. He's afraid. He's now scared because they've been oppressed by the Midianites for a while. And they've lost their faith and their trust in God. And they've started to worship other gods. Now Jewish theology has always taught us that God lived among his people. God lived there with them. God was a part of their camp. But the people of Israel at the time, God's people, had begun to look at their theology and look at their God through themselves and through their own circumstances. And whenever we begin to look at God through us and our circumstances, God changes. Our theology changes. Our study and our understanding of God will change because we change And we're looking at God through us. But I believe that if we look at us through God first, 
and we try to understand us and our situation through our theology, through our study of God, God won't change, then we will. Because if we do it the opposite, I know what happens with me. When I start to try and understand God through me, then I become afraid because I notice my God changing and fear sets in. And then I become not only afraid of everything around me, I become afraid even of myself. And I start to doubt and think, I can't do that. Even if God asks me to do it or tells me I can, I, I don't believe that I can do it, which is what happens in verse 15. God reminds him again through the angel, God has asking you to go and defeat the Midianites. In verse 15, he says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God has come to the weakest dude in the weakest clan. So here's all of Israel, here's all of the tribes, and the weakest group of people, and the weakest dude in the weakest group is the one God is asking to defeat Midian. Gideon. And Gideon says, God, I can't. I can't do that. And it's not that Gideon was pointing his finger at God and saying, God, you can't do that. He was saying, I can't do that. But whenever I have fear of myself and I have doubts within myself, I really believe it's an indication not of me. It's an indication of my faith in God. Do I have enough faith that God can do what he has promised that he is going to do? But I also love reading scripture this way, and I want you to notice something that's not there. In between verses 15 and 16, I want you to look really close in between those two verses, and I want you to see something that's not there. God does not build up his self-confidence. God does not come to Gideon and say, oh no, Gideon, come on, believe in yourself. You can do it. Buck up, little cowboy. Come on, stay strong. You, can, you got this. God doesn't do that. He's not in the business of building our self-confidence. Verse 16, the very next thing God says to him is, I will be with you. Yeah, I know. I know you're the weakest in the weakest clan. I know you can't do it. That's what really I think God wants to say. You don't have to because I'm going to do it with you. And there was doubt and there was fear when that happened inside of Gideon. So Gideon says this, and this is where I, I fall weak in this, and I do this too often, more than I want to admit. Gideon does this with the angel. He says, all right, just stay right here. You're an angel of God. Stay right here. Can, can you get, just give me a few minutes? I need to go home and get something. I need a sign from you. So Gideon runs home, and he grabs his goat. And his goat, he's going to make a sacrifice to God with this goat. And he's kind of testing God with this. So he gets the goat prepped and ready for a sacrifice. He guts it. He skins it. Um, he cleans it. He preps it. He gets it ready for a sacrifice. Then he makes some bread. And he gets this bread ready. And he brings his bread and the meat from the goat back to the angel. And the angel says, put the bread and the meat on this rock. So he makes him a quick sandwich. You know, he's got the bread and the meat, makes a sandwich, lays it on the rock. And the angel touches the rock with his staff. And when he does, it's consumed with fire and just burns it all up. The angel consumes this. And Gideon is for sure. Now, yes, this is an angel from God. I should do what he says. So he goes home. And after that, God comes to Gideon. And God gives Gideon a pretty big challenge. And this, this is a part that I, if you're like me in this at all, Probably one of the hardest next steps to take with God. 
Because God comes to Gideon and says, I need you to fight a battle at home next. This has become personal. And you need to fight this personal battle first, this fear that's inside of you before you go and do anything else. And he says, your family over the last seven years has been worshiping and following other gods besides me. They have built altars to gods and they're outside of your dad's home. I need you to go to your household, your family, and tear down those altars to those other gods and make a sacrifice to me. Take two of your dad's best bulls. Now, these aren't little sacrifices. These are big sacrifices. Bulls, the biggest that they've got. Sacrifice those on the altar that you are making as you cut down the altar from those other gods. Well, Gideon was scared. In fact, in verse 27, it says he was so scared, he took 10 of his other men and they did it, but they did it at night. So he's willing to follow God, but he did it in the cover of darkness because he didn't want anybody else to find out that he had done this. So he was sneaking around at dark to do this. It actually says because he was too afraid for anyone to notice. Well, I think God's gracious in that. He followed, he did it. Might not have been exactly that way, but he did it. And God stepped up. The next morning when everybody got up, um, they were a little upset. They were a little disappointed. They wanted to actually kill Gideon. But Gideon's dad stepped up. And he said, look, if Baal, the God that we've been worshiping, can defend himself, then let him defend himself over Gideon. If, God's, if Baal is a real God, then let him defend himself. But Baal never showed up to defend himself. And it was a pretty short, easy story that they overcame. And it moves on pretty quick. Baal didn't show up, so they continued to worship the one true God. But what I see in this there are times that I think God is going to work you over first. There are times that you have to overcome your own heart, your own fears, your own struggles in your own homes before God might ask you to step out and do anything else. I think before God gives his servants great victories in public, he prepares them by giving them small victories at home. And what you do when no one else is looking, what you do when no one else is judging you, the choices you make in your own heart, your faith, your trust, your fear of God within your own heart and your own circumstances. God is saying, take care of that. Work on that. Trust me in those little things and I will bless you in the big things. Because I think God is preparing us for stuff all the time, then we don't even know what's going on. There's stuff that's happening around us and in our future that God is getting ready for now. And we have to be walking those steps, trusting in God without fear that he's doing those things so that we're ready when that big thing does happen. And it was going on. Because the Midianites, they were gathering for battle. They were pulling their resources together. They had troops. They were in the valley next to them getting ready for battle this whole time that Gideon was getting ready in his own heart to trust and follow God without fear. So Gideon calls out. He knows that it's happening, and he calls out to the other Israelite troops. And he says, all right, everybody, all, all on board. I need troops. We're going to go into battle. And so he started to gather the warriors. But as the warriors were gathering for Israel, Gideon was still afraid. There was still fear inside of him. So he went back to God, okay, as if the first two times he didn't trust, he didn't believe. Now he's coming back to God and he says, God, I need one more 
one more. Give me one more sign. And he takes a fleece blanket and he lays it out on the ground. This is where we get the term laying out a fleece. Have you ever heard this before? You're testing the situation to see if it's going to work. He laid out a fleece blanket and he said to God, all right, in the morning, if it really is you, I want the dew on the ground to not be there. Let the ground be dry, but only dew on the blanket that I have laid out on the ground. So the next morning he gets up and the blanket was so wet with dew that he could wring it out and it filled up a bowl full of water, but there was no dew on the ground. It was dry. That wasn't good enough for Gideon. He came back to God and said, okay, one more time, try this. Let's do it the opposite. Um, This time I want the ground to be wet, but the blanket to be dry. Well, God did that too. And the next morning when he woke up, the ground was wet, but the blanket was bone dry. You see, putting out a fleece is really not a biblical method for determining the will of God. Please don't do that. (laughs) This is not the advice we should get from Gideon. Rather, it's an approach used by people like Gideon who lack the faith to trust in God that he's going to do what he has said he is going to do. And Gideon twice reminded himself and God of who he was and who God said he was. And twice God stooped to Gideon's level to give him that reassurance. To me, it just shows two, it shows two things. One, it shows the graciousness of God, that he knows how weak we are at times and how much we do need that and how gracious he is. And sometimes he does that for us to give us that extra boost of encouragement to trust in him. But I also think it shows our pride. It's a horrible sign of our pride. And how many times I have done this with God When I tell God the conditions that he must work in before I give him my trust and my faith. God, I'll do this for you, but you have to do this first. If you really want me to follow you, you better do this first. You better show me. I'm going to lay this fleece out. I'm going to test you, God, to see if you'll do it for me. And I give conditions for God to work under as if he should follow my instructions And the pride that comes with that, yeah, God, I'm going to get baptized. I'll I'll, I'll do that, but you better do this and this and this first before I choose to follow you. Yeah, God, I'll give to you, but I'm not going to give you that much. I'm going to start giving you this. And if if, if you bless me with this little bit, then maybe I'll give you a little bit more and see if you get can get rewarded even more, God. And then I can. Can you see the pride that we show when we give God those conditions? How much that can get in our way of trusting and following who he is. God, I'll honor you, but you better honor me first. I came across this video a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been wanting to show it. Um, and it's, it's a video of Snoop Dogg, the rapper, all right? He got uh, rewarded with a star on the Hollywood Walk of, Fran- Hollywood Walk of Fame just a few months ago. And whenever somebody gets a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, they have a ceremony. They reveal the star. They usually have, you know, a speech. They thank people. And Snoop Dogg, during his speech, he was thanking people in his past. I thank these people for helping me with this. These people for helping me get started. These people through my journey and what they have done. But then he gets to this point in his speech. And this is what Snoop Dogg says, how he closes. I want to thank me. I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver. 
and trying to give more than I receive. I want to thank me for trying to do more right than wrong. I want to thank me for just being me at all times. Being me at all times. <laughs> now, there's something to say for self-confidence, right? I'm all for that. But it's not a practice of God to build your self-confidence. Our goal is not to trust and believe in us more. It's to trust and believe in God and what he can do. Now, let me stop right here and say, if that's something you struggle with, if you're working through some of those things right now in your own life, please do not hear me say you should not have any confidence. I do not want you walking around hating yourself or not trusting or believing in yourself or the lies. I don't want you to hear you saying, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I can't do this, I can't do that. That's not the goal either. That's false humility. Please don't go that direction and don't hear me say that that's what I'm saying. But if you believe and trust in yourself more than you do God, then we have a problem. That's not it either. Our goal is not to build our self-confidence. Our goal is to build our faith and our trust in who God is and what he can do through us. And Gideon was preparing for battle. And God needed him to be in a spot where he had no fear. No fear in himself and no fear in the situation or what, <coughs> excuse me, what God was going to do through him. So Gideon had collected and gathered an army. 32,000 men answered the call and came in to fight against Midian. And they were going to take him on. 32,000 men. Seems like a lot, right? Until you find out that the Midianites had 135,000 men ready for battle. More than four times the amount. So God comes to Gideon and says, all right, dude. We have a problem here. Gideon's like, I know. We have 32,000. They have 135. God says, right, you have too many men. He says, what? You're joking, right? It would, no, if we went into battle now, it would be a bloodbath. God says, I know. You would win, and then you would walk away saying, look what we did. Look how great we are. We defeated them. You got too many men. So go to your men and ask any of them that are scared. If any of them are scared, you can give them a free ride home. You can tell them they can go. Um, no questions asked. And he did. Any of you scared? And 22,000 of them said, yeah, I'm scared. And they walked away. 22,000. Left him with 10,000 men to fight 135 warriors from Midian. Well, God comes to Gideon again and says, yeah, we have another problem. He goes, yeah, I know. It's even worse now. He goes, yeah, you have too many men. He goes, no, not again. Really? God says, yes, because if you were to go into battle now, you would win. And then you would walk away saying, look what we did, how awesome we are. God says, so this is what I want you to do next. I want you to take them down to the river and ask them to drink. And any of them that just stick their face in the water to get a drink, those are not your men. <laughs> ask them to leave. But any of them that lap up the water with their hands and keep their heads up, those are your guys. Those are the ones you want to go to battle with. Ask them to stay and fight. So he did. And after 10,000 men went through and he watched them all get a drink, only 300 of them remained. 300 men that he was going into battle with. And at that point, that's when Gideon was confident and ready to go fight. Right? No, not at all. He was still scared. There was still fear in him. So he, he made this, he was speaking with God and said, okay, this is what I need. And God said, okay, I got something for you. Said, sneak down into the camp. If you go down into the camp, you and one other guy sneak down into the camp and you listen. 
get close enough to hear them talking, which would be scary in itself, right? Here's your enemy. You get close enough to their camp where you can hear them talking. And he heard two warriors talking about their dreams, which I think is weird in itself. Two, two grown men fighting battles, ready for fight. And they're talking about, their, I had a crazy dream last night, really. Um, and dreams are weird anyway. And this is what happens. So he went down there, he's listening to this. And one of the warriors says to the other, dude, I had a dream that Gideon and the Israelites defeated us. And this is the way it looked. And dreams are always weird, right? So it was a loaf of barley bread that came rolling down out of the mountain. And it rolled right over the top of us, all over all of our tents, and smashed us all, and we were defeated. Well, that should have been an insult to Gideon. Because barley bread was the bread of the poor man. The poor people, that's what they ate, was bread made from barley. And so to compare Gideon with a loaf of stale barley bread would have been an insult, but Gideon took it as a compliment because Gideon remembers back. says, I'm the weakest of the weakest clan, and yet God is going to use us to defeat the Midianites. So he, he gets all excited, even though God had already told him this when he heard it from his enemy, Now he was ready. Now he was faithful and ready to go trust God. So he goes back to camp and he says, all right, we have a plan. Well, I think we have a plan. God has a plan. Um, Let's gather all our resources. What do we have? How many swords do we have? How many shields do we have? Do we have any ARs or lasers or cannons? What what do we got together? Let's pull it all together. And somebody said, "Um, well, when those 22,000 men left, they left behind some trumpets. Trumpets. Why didn't you say so? Trumpets. We can use those, right? Music instruments. This is great. So they gathered the trumpets. How many do we have? And they said, 300 of them. Wait, there's 300 of us and 300 trumpets. Perfect. What about, um, what else do we have? And they said, we have some clay pots. Clay pots? Yes, we need those. So they gathered the clay pots and they had 300 of those. And Gideon said, grab your clay pots and your torches and your trumpets and follow my lead. So in the middle of the night, they gathered around the camp of the Midianites up on the ridge of the mountain. And as they gathered up and around them, um, Gideon said, follow my lead. And when he blew his trumpet, it was dark out, Gideon blew his trumpet, 300 other men blew their trumpets. And when it woke up the Midianites, they stood up in the middle of their camp and they couldn't figure out where the sound was coming from because it was coming all around them. They were surrounded. And whenever one trumpet sounds in battle... It's a, it's a sign to charge. It's a sign that we're still in this. The trumpet is sounding, and we're marching on. And with each trumpet sound, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of warriors behind each trumpet. And when they heard that, and they couldn't figure out where it was coming from because they were surrounded, they thought there were thousands of warriors coming in to attack them. And then he took their clay vessels, which were, they were hiding um, their torches with it, and they broke their clay vessels. And when they broke their clay vessels, the torches were lit, And then they could see all around them. They were surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands, of warriors coming in to fight them. And Gideon said to him, when you blow your trumpets and you let your torches shine and stand firm, no fear. And God stepped in. And the Midianites, they got scared and they turned on each other. They started killing each other. And the ones that escaped ran as far as they could. They didn't even have to draw their swords. God used ordinary tools. Nothing special. God used ordinary people. 
They were just people that weren't afraid. And God can use you. Whatever he's asking you to do, wherever he's at with you, he can use you in that. And when you consider the kind of man that Gideon was at the time, and you wonder why God would select him, be encouraged to know that God often selects the weak things of this world to do what his purpose is, because he doesn't want the confidence in us. He wants more and more people to come to trust and believe in him and who he is and what he can do. So I want you to be fearless. Trust in the promises that God has given to us. Worship him first. And if there's something going on in your own heart, in your own life, that there's a struggle right now within that, don't be motivated by your fears to overcome that. Trust in God and worship him first. Sound your trumpet. Break that vessel. It might be your self-confidence. Break that harder outer shell and let that light of God shine from within you so others won't come to know you, but they'll come to know him. And then stand and be fearless. If you would, let's stand together. Let's worship him as we prepare our hearts to remember what Christ has done for us.